Good morning and welcome to another episode of Money Talk Extra. Each week on the programme, we look at issues surrounding your savings, investments, income and spending habits to help you make better financial decisions. This week, we're going to look at one of the biggest influences on your overall wealth, your job. Later in the programme, in our investment segment, we shall explain how exchange-traded funds work. And just a reminder once again that if you would like to get in touch with the programme, you can email moneytalk at rthk.hk. Also go and check out our Facebook page, Money Talk Extra, on RTHK Radio 3. We live in an uncertain and rapidly changing world, and that's reflected in our job prospects. Automation has changed the way we work and eliminated many traditional jobs. The gig economy means for those involved in it that work is more flexible and sporadic. More and more people are working freelance, with the freedom but also income uncertainty that brings with it. So to kick off, let's welcome back David Kneebone, who is General Manager of the Hong Kong Investor Education Centre, to talk about steps you can take to plan ahead when you have a job, but your income is irregular and uncertain. Good to see you, David. I'd like to start by asking you about the world of work. It's changed dramatically in recent times, hasn't it? Some people are working without contracts. Others are in the gig economy where they're not regarded as employees at all. There are more people who are self-employed or freelance workers where income can be very lumpy. And agency workers are an expanding part of the economy. When it comes to managing your personal finances, this must create a lot of issues, mustn't it? Well, it can create issues for some. I mean, the, the key thing is planning. And whether your income is regular or irregular... A budget is crucial, not just for the next month, not just for the next six months, but I suppose look out a year ahead if you can. We've got a series of expenses, some that happen once a year, others that, of course, happen a lot more regularly, like rent on our apartments, the need for food. Planning ahead and estimating accurately and fairly, and please be honest, (laughs) helps that whole process a great deal. So if you're one of these people who are in the gig economy, you're not quite sure what you're going to earn from one month to the next, what steps should you be taking? I mean, presumably you need to build up some sort of buffer, don't you, for those times when maybe there's no income coming in or less income than you hoped for? I suppose that the first and crucial thing about a budget is to make sure you estimate very accurately what your expenses may be, the really crucial ones, like rent, like food, like the expenses for your children, etc. But yes, just to go to the second part of your question. In terms of a buffer, an emergency fund is something that gives people, uh, I think, a degree of comfort. And it's incredibly important if you do go through a period where income is quite sparse. And that, of course, can happen for any reason, not just because contract work is, is, is low at that particular point in time, but illness, redundancy, a, an issue with your car. There's no, no, need, no end of things that could potentially stimulate your need for it. An emergency fund's important. I'd say probably three months of your fixed expenses would be crucial to cover. And understanding that you don't just necessarily need to have that in the bank, but you need to have access to three months' expenses. So do you have a line of credit? Could your mother give it to you? And don't just assume she can. You need to make sure she can. We've heard some horror stories of people saying, Mum, I need the cash now and find she's just bought a whole lot of shares and she can't sell them. What do you do then? Do you have jewellery that you can sell? If so, what's it worth and who will buy it? There's a number of different ways people cater to this, but the ideal is to have three months' expenses covered in the bank. The practicalities of that in Hong Kong, for many people on a tight budget, are we've got to explore a number of different ways of doing it. 
So this money really needs to be readily available. It's no good putting it into a retirement account or something that's locked up. It's got to be there, as it suggests, for an emergency right now if you need it. You need to be able to get it out of the ATM machine when you need it. Yep. So it's got to be liquid. <laughs> now, some people use credit cards or loans to cover an emergency. What, what do you say about that? No, I think it's a very valid um, means of having access to funds in this situation. Assuming, of course, that after a couple of months, you're going to be in a situation to reduce that debt. So the key thing in regards to credit card use is to not let the high interest uh, mm. on that debt uh, carry on for a number of months, in which case there's no point in doing it at all. But there's no harm in using that facility to tide you over. And if you're heavily in debt, what should your priority be? Should it be paying off the debts first or should it be building up the emergency fund? If you're in a situation with regular income and you've got significant debt, always pay off your high interest debts first. Always. Credit card particularly. Uh, maybe you've got uh, money that you've borrowed from a finance company or a third tier lender. Where that interest is high, always pay it off. And then concentrate on uh, lower interest debts. At the same time, you might be able to build up if, if your budget will allow you an emergency fund. I think people, when they go through that process, get to a point where the emergency fund is sometimes the icing on the cake, so to speak. And it does provide people at the end of that process with a huge degree of stress relief and comfort. So is it a good idea maybe to even open a separate account for an emergency fund from the rest of your savings and other things that you have so that it's clear that is the purpose it's for and you can see it build up? Absolutely. And it's motivating to do it that way. Also for some to put it in an account where you can't touch it or you might need a second signature to be able to touch it or some limitation that says to you, okay, I'm preserving this money for a different purpose. I'm going to somehow block myself from being able to readily go to the ATM and just take it out straight away unless I absolutely need to. And if you don't have one already... It must be a little bit daunting to think I've got to start now building up another set of savings. How do you advise people to start doing that? Well, again, the, the, the initial step is to make sure you've got a budget that works for you and your mm -hmm. family. Um, but it, doing it, setting, setting a payment to go into an account, for an example, to build up an emergency fund uh, and putting it aside in such a way that it doesn't impact on you too much initially uh, can be a, it can create some delightful surprises through the year as you note uh, that amount building up over time. So you've just got to basically set it as a priority goal and make sure that you do do it. So even if you start small, it's still worth doing that? Absolutely. Because over Absolutely. a period of time, that's going to start building up, presumably. Absolutely. Now, if it takes you a couple of years to get there, that doesn't matter. You're doing it. That's what counts. You may have, I mean, who knows, as I mentioned before, there's a range of things that can cause us to need access to an emergency fund. You may go through the next five years without needing access to it at all, or you may have an issue in four months' time. I don't know. We're all in different situations. But setting the path and the goal to do it is a really crucial step. So what is the calculation? Let's go through that. I mean, first of all, if you are a freelance worker, for example, you need to calculate maybe what your average income is and how much of that you need to cover certain vital expenses. Is, is that really the way to do it? You actually really need to sit down and do those calculations, go through the budgets? Absolutely. And I'd say to do that over a 12-month period would be worth thinking about. Your emergency fund, we would recommend three to six months. Others would prefer longer, but I think three to six months is usually enough. Um, of course, whether you're in, as you said at the beginning, part of the gig economy and your work may be slightly erratic 
uh, either through contractual work or whatever, or you're a salaried employee, the issues are actually quite similar because you need to make sure you can cover three to six months of crucial expenses. Your rent, your food, the costs for your children, various other things that, of course, you, you need to cover regardless. And I should imagine that when you see this little pot of savings building up, there is a temptation to say, oh, you know, I'd like a new plasma screen TV or a nice holiday. The, the key is you have to avoid that temptation, I presume. This really is for an emergency. Yeah, and easy for us to say and harder for me to do, to be honest, and, and very much. So that's really where we do require, as all individuals, a huge degree of discipline because it is very tempting. Thanks, David. Looking forward to talking to you again soon on Money Talk Extra. That's David Kneebone, who's General Manager of the Hong Kong Investor Education Centre. Generating income solely from a day job no longer suits many people, and more and more Hong Kongers are turning to freelancing. But while freelancing offers greater flexibility and autonomy than a salaried job, it comes with a number of challenges, such as difficulty saving for retirement, buying health insurance, and it's risky as income can fluctuate from month to month. Jimmy Lamb spoke about some of the challenges freelancers face with Carl Chan, co-founder of KGM, an online platform linking up freelancers and job providers, and also Jeffrey Lau, a freelance videographer. How long have you been running your online platform and what do you make of the freelancing market? Our platform started one and a half year ago. The job is like design, IT and uh, some reporting um, type of job. And moving on to the financial side of things, um, as a freelancer, what, what are their main concerns? In terms of the financial concern for freelancers, I think they, um, they are afraid of the, the income stability. Because uh, when they when they work as an employee, they, they can they can get uh, their salary at the month of, at the end of the month. But for the freelance job, they, they will get a job today, and but um, when they finish, they they, uh, they are afraid that they can't get another job for uh, for a living. And they tend to get paid after they complete a job, and that cycle can be quite long sometimes, right? Yeah, uh, it depends on the client because sometimes the client uh, didn't know they, uh, what, what they want. So um, uh, they, the job will, will come back and forth and then it will prolong the, the um, expected project lifespan. As a freelancer, how should we quote our own salary? You First of all, you, you have to think of yourself. How much do you need to um, make a month to, to uh, pay for your living? So... Um, by dividing the, the lump sum into into uh, daily wage and then divide the, the working hour per day into the man hour you, you for yourself. So um, if you can you can make it up like five hundred or seven hundred uh, an hour. So you can and uh, then think of a project. How would it consume your man hour? And then you will probably come up with a um, reasonable quote for your client. And comparing to a permanent role in a big company. Freelancer would have, have to pay for their own insurance or medical and even pay for their own holiday. They don't have a uh, paid holiday, so to speak. It's a, it's a great trade-off, actually. Um, you, you, can, you can have your own holiday planned, whatever you'd like, and, uh, but uh, you still have to pay tax, actually. I think that that would be the, uh, a good practice to, um, to report your tax to, to the government because if you, you don't do that, um, actually the bank and the government will 
sees that you do not have a stable income, and that will affect you to buy a house or or even even applying for a credit card. So. Um, I think that's a good practice for you to submit your tax to the, the to the government, and then uh, for the medical and the company benefit, yes, um, you do not have the um, medical benefit that the company will provide to you. But I think there's a trade-off that you you should be calculating those things in into your man hour as well. Can you tell us about your background? Um, actually, I have been uh, some advertising agencies around ten years, yeah, and I have been changed to freelancer uh, around four months since last year uh, November. I have a chance to follow my master to uh, learn some video technique. So now, actually, I'm now is a wedding video graphic for uh, the for big day. This job uh, can let me. See more future to earn more money for my children or my family, or actually for my easier, more, more easier to retire. Um, maybe fifty years old. How big is your child? Just one year old. And what's your financial uh, situation like? Uh, my family income is around fifty thousand per month before. After I change to freelance, uh, the family income will. Slightly decrease to around thirty-five thousand dollar. And on your freelancing job, is it getting more stable? Or I cannot predict the next month how much I can earn in the next month. Mm. I try to earn as much as I can. What about your current um, investment? Do you have a lot of uh, investment into uh, stocks or? Actually, I don't have any investment for uh, now, but uh, because previously, uh, even even though fifty thousand dollar per month for for family is just just enough for for living. Okay, so, so you spend most of it. <laughs> yeah, so you yeah, yeah. Don't yeah. have much to save. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and what's your? Um, do you have any liabilities like uh, mortgages or bank loans to repay? Just uh, uh, some simple credit card. Okay. Yeah. But you're always uh, okay to pay back <laughs> yeah, within uh, yes, one month. Yes. Okay. And may I just ask, how about your uh, your car? Is your is you are the owner of it? Yeah. Right? So you have already. So you you don't have. Uh, uh, my you, my car is what before before <laughs> a long long time. No no no. no. Oh, oh, yeah. Just three years. Uh, oh, three years ago. Uh, I have to. Uh, because of your living location. Yes. Basically. Actually, it's my living location. So I. I need to still need to pay until this year. Oh, okay. Oh, so you have a little uh, mortgage. Little, yeah, yeah, little, okay. little. Just just for just, the car. Just for the car. Yeah. And there's a. I assume there's some expense related mm-hmm. to the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Parking. And Parking. Uh, the uh, fuel. And what's your objective um, in terms of financials? Previously, I want to uh, send to send my children to overseas for education, or or maybe we also want to move to uh, overseas. But now, uh, I think we we need to plan again because my income is uh, really decreased a lot uh, compared to uh, previous job. That's Jimmy Lam talking to Carl Chan, co-founder of KGM, and freelance videographer Jeffrey Lau. As you heard, working freelance can be very rewarding, but it also brings a number of challenges. 
To discuss some of the personal finance aspects of being a freelancer, I spoke to Cherry Sitt, founder of the Freelancer's Road to Financial Freedom blog. You heard from our listener, Jeffrey. His biggest problem seems to be, first of all, his uncertain financial income, which varies from month to month as a result of being a freelancer. And also his income has dropped in the last four months since he started to be a freelancer from 50000 to 35000 a month. What advice would you give him? Um, I think for any freelancer, it's important to diversify your sources of income. Um, as currently, he only takes photos for wedding ceremonies. I think uh, there are other potential jobs for him to take on also. And how important is it as a freelancer to plan and budget? Well, um, I guess for some freelancing jobs, like there are seasonal changes. Sometimes you get more job opportunities, but sometimes like uh, you are just mostly free during like certain months. So I think, well, um, as Jeffrey, he has a master and he's an expert in like photo taking. Well, he should take on like uh, other similar jobs also, not only limited to like uh, well wedding taking. And does it get easier? He's only just started this, so. As he goes on, builds up more contacts, will he find that his income will improve and become more stable? Um, well, I think it depends like, uh, on the development in this industry. Um, but I think, well, um, if Jeffrey like, builds up his reputation um, in this area, like, gradually he'll get more referrals. But in the meantime, like, I think he should seek opportunities for himself first, uh, like uh, teaching um, well, some um, new guys about uh, photo taking and well, do some teaching and tutorial posts about this area. There should be other jobs related to photo taking, uh, not only like, uh, well, for wedding ceremonies, uh, just my idea. And as he has a young family, a child who's one year old, budgeting is very important, isn't it, out of his income? Ah, uh, yes, exactly. Um, as he mentions, his uh, saving is relatively little and he has, uh, well, a one-year-old kid, so he should have an emergency fund for his family. And how does he budget? Is there like software that maybe can help him do that, that uh, you, you recommend? Uh, yes, sure. I think he can download apps like um, Mint um, for budgeting like his um, well daily expenditure. Um, as he can well um, accept an income uh, down from 50000 uh, to 35000 per month. So I think he should be quite flexible in determining um, the expenses uh, and budget of his family. Now, you mentioned emergency fund. That's something we've talked about before on Money Talk Extra and the importance of building up an emergency fund. He doesn't appear to have savings because his income is quite low. What would you recommend? Is it important just to maybe even start small to build up this emergency fund? Um, yes, definitely. I think he can start more. Like uh, for a normal person, uh, probably an emergency fund of like three to six months um, savings should be enough. But I think for a freelancer's case, uh, you should maximize this up to like uh, maybe nine to 12 months uh, of uh, daily expenses, which can cover yourself uh, in case your job goes south. Um, yeah, and I think uh, for Jeffrey's case, uh, he can set up um, a... Um, Lumber for himself to save up every month as he's a driver, um, like has his own car. Maybe sometimes he can choose to use the car less. <laughs> I think the cost saved uh, will help like to generate a greater saving for himself. So you're saying that as a freelancer, you really need a bigger emergency fund than if 
you're a salaried employee just because of the uncertain nature of the job and the, and the income. So you would recommend nine to twelve months. Yeah. Uh, yes, definitely. Um, actually, like from this recording, I don't know if Jeffrey's wife uh, is a working mom or stay at home mom. Uh, but if he's the um, well. Uh, only source of income for his family. Then, like a bigger emergency fund is uh, very important to safeguard him and his family. Like if his job or his health has got any problems in the future. So it's important to start. He hasn't got an emergency fund at the moment. Even if you start with a small amount, saving a small amount, that's important. Um, yes, like uh, I think uh, it's like a habit building. Uh, once you get started, uh, it's uh, easier as time goes on. But uh, if he doesn't save any money uh, for um, well uh, such a long time and don't intend to do so in the future, well, this will create more problems as he goes older. <laughs> and this is more important even than investments at the moment. Do you think this should be a bigger priority for him than maybe building up stock market investments? Yes, like uh, well, uh, at first I once thought of like suggesting some investing um, advice for him, but after he, I hear his case, I think it's more important for him to have uh, a regular saving, um, like uh, for example, like uh, to protect his family by buying life insurance. I think this is more basic for him. And well, regarding his plan about like um, well, sending his kid for overseas studies, I think this is a bit uh, like far fetched. At this moment, so uh, let's uh, well uh, build on the fundamentals for him first. <laughs> Now he has a young family. Should he be thinking about insurance in case he couldn't work in the future? Um, yes, like uh, that's a good idea for him. Um, I think well, he may um, consider buying a life insurance um, for himself. Like uh, in case something bad happens, his family will like still receive um, some allowance uh, for their like uh, daily expenses. And maybe like for his uh, little child, uh, he may also think of some uh, financial plans for the kid, like uh, to reserve some money as the education fund, um, like to um, well save money for the uh, kid's uh, medical expenses, etc. I think it's important for any family. With a That's Cherry Sit, founder of the Freelancers Road to Financial Freedom blog. Financial management and planning probably isn't at the top of your favourite things to do list. It takes time, but the sooner you get started, the better off you'll be. Now it's time for our investment segment. In January and February of this year, investors around the world have moved 131 billion dollars into exchange-traded funds, the biggest two-month inflows on record. So, what are exchange-traded funds, and why are investors flocking to invest in them? Joining me now is Toby Bland, CEO of Enhanced Investment Products, a company which manages a suite of ETFs. Good morning, Toby. Can you explain to us what is an exchange-traded fund? To explain an exchange-traded fund,、um, I sort of think of it like a shopping bag,、um, in the sense that we are able to put. Various financial products into a bag, which allows us to list them on the stock exchanges、uh, globally, and therefore you have a lifetime price very similar to a equity or, or stock. So within this shopping bag, there could be stocks, there could be commodities such as gold, there could be currencies, there could be a whole basket of stocks that make up an index. You can almost choose what you want to put in the shopping bag. Uh, that's completely correct, and within there, there's already 1,300 of these shopping bags listed on the stock exchange in America,、um, and actually around 40% of the daily flows on the U.S. exchanges are originated by exchange-traded funds. 
Toby, if I buy an investment trust or a unit trust, it's sometimes hard to know each day what is the value of that. But with an exchange-traded fund, there is a price every minute of the day? Yeah, it's exactly the same as owning a stock uh, on the stock exchange. China Light and Power, um, Shangri-La Hotels. It, it, uh, it trades like a stock as well, so there's a bid and offer price and literally you decide how much of that particular shopping list you want to own and then you, uh, you place your order with a stockbroker exactly the same as you do with uh, any other equity. And does the exchange-traded fund guarantee to track exactly the price of the underlying assets? Uh, in most cases, yes. It's a very efficient way to gain access to a particular uh, investment you want to make. And, and what's been a revelation for exchange-traded funds is it's added lots more uh, to the menu. So now not only can you just buy equities, but you can buy bonds or fixed income. Uh, you can also hedge uh, yourself because you can actually short sell the ETFs, which means that you actually make money if the um, asset goes down. Toby, let me ask you to explain a couple of the terms you've just used. So by short selling, you in effect mean selling something that you don't own so that you benefit if the stock or the asset price goes down. That, that's correct. And... and, and um, Within the exchange-traded funds world, um, you know, that, again, doesn't just apply to uh, equities. So at the moment, people are very um, aware that interest rates are very low. So one way to use an exchange-traded fund is you could buy a fund that would allow you to make money if interest rates go up. Um, you could buy an exchange-traded fund that allowed you to make money if credit um, became more expensive. And so these new uh, tools allow people to have a bigger investment horizon than just being able to to desk, to, 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 to being able to invest in, in in companies that they only make money if they go up. So these are very flexible products. What is the fee structure like? Well, the first thing I'd say is it's transparent, and so this is where some investors um, are disappointed. Um, by different mutual funds or, or other investment um, wrappers, whereby the funds are not properly explained. With an ETF, uh, exchange-traded fund, you are um, going to pay a management fee, which is called a TER, or total expense ratio. Uh, and that means that you know exactly what the cost or the charges are going to be for holding that investment for one year. And how does that compare to, say, buying a mutual fund or buying a stock through a broker? So the thought process here is is buying a stock is exactly the same as buying an ETF in the sense of you get charged a commission the same way, but you there's no further charges. Um, however, on the second part of it, when you come to sell a mutual fund, um, there can be re what's called redemption fees. Uh, and those fees vary, and that's the really the part of the expenses that are unexplained uh, in some of the investments that mutual funds that you have in mutual funds. So it's just a, a buyer beware, um, and also to look at the to look at the um, key fact sheet when you are buying either a mutual fund or an ETF, and be able to compare the costs. Thanks, Toby. Now you know all about ETFs. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening to Money Talk Extra this morning. I'll be back next week when we are on Red Alert. We'll be taking a look at dangers to your financial wealth from issues such as cybercrime and stock fraud. 
And Jimmy Lamb will discuss how to deal with job relocation and its impact on your personal finances. In the meantime, this is Peter Lewis signing off and wishing you a great weekend. Thank you.